Welcome to the EdTech Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skurhawk, and today we're talking about the evolution of education technology with Josh Rapoon, an education thought leader in Hawaii and founder of MLTS in Hawaii, an ambassador group for an education movement called Most Likely to Succeed. He'll share a few lessons and anecdotes that he's learned along the way. Josh, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. So as I mentioned, we're talking about the evolution of education technology, specifically internet classroom assistants or ICAs. Now, as a longtime educator in your home state of Hawaii, you, you taught history and economics at the La Pietra Hawaii School for Girls, and you led tech inter- integration for several schools. So mm-hmm. you were an early adopter of this type of technology and specifically one called NiceNet. So for those who haven't worked with that program, will you share just a little bit about how you came across NiceNet and then your journey to using technology in education? Yeah, absolutely. Um, more than 10 years ago, um, actually probably around 2006 or 2007, um, I was having a conversation with a colleague whose name was Eunice Peer. Um, he taught at Punahou School, which is where I graduated from here in Hawaii. And I also taught there back in the 90s. And Eunice, um, who's from South Africa, he actually replaced me when I left uh, Punahou. He was teaching medieval studies and European history and U.S. history, world history. And he told me just in a casual conversation when we saw each other on campus one day that he was having conversations or he was pairing students in his classes at Punahou with students in South Africa, where he's from, in these um, in these contexts that he called threaded conversations. And at the time, it's pretty funny to look back on that now. I had no clue what a threaded conversation was. And this was like just the very beginning of people starting to have these kinds of online conversations, chat rooms, and things like that. And so I was super intrigued. But at that time, it wasn't really an opportunity for me to explore that anymore. I was just very intrigued by the idea that he was having students talk to each other over such great distances. Now, we know that those threaded conversations ultimately would become blogs, um, and that blogs would become a very major part of the ed tech world. They, they are now, they were then, they are now, and they will continue to be a really powerful tool for developing student voice and developing connections between students. So um, a year or so later, I was teaching at La Pietra, I was teaching European history, and I was beginning to kind of perfect the art of the Socratic seminar in class. And I had the great blessing of being able to have small class sizes. So I was never more than 17 or 18 kids in the class. And in European, I would set up these really awesome conversations around really big essential questions of history. And I got frustrated after a while because we'd be, uh, we were on a block schedule and our classes were 80 minutes long, which was terrific. But at the end of 80 minutes, we would be so up and into the conversation and the thing would be flying along and then bam, the bell would ring and it would just like, ah, no, we can't let this come to an end. And so I started thinking about how do I yeah. knock out the walls of the classroom? And right. How do I extend this conversation beyond the classroom time and the school day? So I, I went and talked to our IT director at La Pietra. His name is Mike Travis. And seriously, I stand on the shoulders of, of giants of ed tech here in Hawaii who really helped me and many other people get started in things. And he said, I said, you know, I'd really like the, to keep these conversations going. And he goes, oh, 
Absolutely. There's this tool called NiceNet and it's an ICA. And I said, what's an ICA? And he said, Internet Classroom Assistant. So we sat down and I took a look at it. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. So long story short, it was a free service. You just create a login. You log your students in using their email addresses. And it allowed um, teachers and students in a safe environment, um, which, of course, chat rooms are not if you're doing that outside of ICAs to have extended conversations um, that are threaded. And by threaded, I mean they cascade, meaning you can have a conversation around one particular topic, but it's really easy to jump to another topic and have a cascading conversation. So it's just like real life. You can have a series of conversations that are quote unquote around the table that can go on indefinitely. And so that's how it started for me. It was, uh, and the, the kids, they took to it like ducks to water. It was remarkable how much they they enjoyed being part of those conversations. I, I can imagine. Now, um, now, what year was this about? So somewhere 2006 and 2007, somewhere around there. And at the same time, uh, this is when Apple... So there's a quick side story that I'll tell. As a result of these initial threaded conversations, one of my students actually nominated me for a tech award, which was, looking back on it, I thought it was... I think now that it's actually kind of silly because I had done absolutely nothing in ed tech at that point, except these threaded conversations, but she was so fired up about them that she nominated me for this award that was Nextel, which was a, you know, a phone company. Um, and it was called the My Hero Award. Wow. And I got, I got selected for it, which was really fun. And there was a little luncheon and I had a chance to make some remarks, but the cool part was they actually gave away a MacBook mm. as the award. And that changed, it changed my life. Like in a snap, when I opened it up and I turned it on, I said, the arc of my teaching life is going to change. And it did. And so uh, that's for all the ways that it changed us for another conversation, but specifically with regard to NiceNet and the ICA, and then the subsequent developments of different kinds of blogging tools, including something called iWeb, which was an Apple tool that I used to develop my own classroom website. In, embedded in iWeb is the opportunity to do these threaded conversations. So I built it out that way. So over the years from 2006, 2007, I really, really developed and, and so much so, Shelby, that there was one moment when I actually got called in by administration and read the Riot Act because yeah. my students were not doing their other homework in math and science and, <laughs> and literature because they were so into these threaded conversations that they were you know, literally staying up all night debating with each other these great questions of European history. So that was pretty, pretty cool. Well, that's going to be incredibly uh, gratifying to, to see that type of enthusiasm for, um, for the topic that and the subject that you're, you're teaching. Um, for, I guess, context, at that time, what else was available? What was already common? I mean, there were um, chat rooms like you mentioned you started to say some of the um the existing technology that was there for this type of conversation but what else what else was there at the time that made this so revolutionary really what it came down to was the difference between safe and not safe and we as teachers who were involved in this at the very beginning. And there were only a few, by the way, because not very many people really knew about this or were even trying to extend the walls of the classroom. We, we were all a small group of us are starting to think about what environments can we have these kinds of conversations where 
where the safety of the student was ensured. And, and frankly, chat rooms were not that place. We, it was just too much of a Wild West thing. This was before YouTube. It was before any of the kinds of um, blogging technologies that we see today um, based on personal websites or based on um, other kinds of technologies even existed. So I'm super grateful that NiceNet, I, I just can't even imagine like who was the person that said, hmm, we need a place for kids to have safe online conversations. I don't know who the founder of NiceNet is or was, but I thank that person profoundly. Um, so safe versus not safe. And the, and the thing about safe is that it, it's not just safe in terms of outside predators who might come in and prey on the kids like might happen in a chat room, but it's really also about setting up a structure, a format, which is what was so awesome about NiceNet, to have structured conversations that mimic the kinds of things that you would do Socratically in the classroom. So it, it was a it was a specific series of steps that you went through as a student and me as the teacher um, where you could have these conversations and they would actually promote values that we want to promote, which is, you know, respect and dignity and uh, everybody having a voice and democracy and sort of a bill of rights of how you have a conversation. Um, so that's that's why NiceNet was very special to me because there really wasn't anything out there at that point except for emerging chat rooms. And those were just way too scary for any of us teachers to, to be around in. Right. Well, and I like that, that you mentioned the, um, I guess, just some of the, the discipline or some of the parameters around an effective conversation and a safe conversation. So this probably uh, became one of the first times that um, there was really a, a good use or a good tool to employ other teaching tools. Uh, styles. Yeah. I mean, actually, I can, I can tell you a quick story that really kind of hits the nail on the head in that respect. One of the things that we teachers for years and years would talk about endlessly is how do you, how do you get kids who are quiet to talk in discussions? And for a long time, it was that it was, these were frustrating conversations for me because it was really just about sort of, well, if you can get them to talk, then you can make a mark on a, on a grade sheet that says they talked and then somehow they get credit for that. It doesn't matter what they said. It's just that you got them to talk in some way. So that was, that was frustrating for me. So the NiceNet as the first ICA that I used um, was very special in that I could help develop students' voice. And that's a timeless value that we look for as educators in the classroom. Right. It was true back in 2007. It was true before 2007. And it's true today in 2018. So I'll give you a quick, really quick story of exactly how that worked for me. I had one student in my class. Her name is Laura. And she was extremely quiet. And because I did so much Socratic seminar, she never spoke. And it was she was just, you know, her reputation as a quiet student was actually sort of enhanced, if you will, or, or was furthered by the fact that I did so much conversation in my classroom that she never really participated. So the more I did it, the quieter she seemed. Then I created NiceNet and I opened up this ICA and wow, Laura turned into the next Supreme Court justice during oral arguments, you know, oh, wow. like all of a sudden she became like this authoritative voice in, in these conversations around questions. She would question people's premise. She would challenge their facts. 
she was all over these conversations. And for me, I could legitimately, you know, in her letter of recommendation, in the marks that I gave her as part of the class, I could say, this student participated. She has a voice. She knows how to use that voice. Just because it's not being said, used verbally in a classroom, you know, that, that will come with time. It's about building confidence and building your voice. So that's why ed tech is a really important subject. And I'm, I'm glad EdTech for a while kind of went nuts and it just became about the devices. It became about iPads or Chromebooks or just getting the devices into the schools as if somehow that was the solution to everything. And now the conversation has come back to pedagogy and it's come back to the real purpose of teaching and learning. And EdTech is now a part of that conversation as a tool. And I'm, I'm super stoked about that. It just feels really good. We're in a good place right now where those conversations that are happening around all of these ed tech conferences are largely around pedagogy and around good learning and the purpose of learning. What are some of the other, I guess, unexpected benefits that you've seen from ed tech in terms of being able to reach students that you hadn't been able to reach before or encouraging teachers to try different teaching styles and to give students the, um, the education, the, the lessons in their own learning style? Wow, um, that's a great question. I mean, it's almost like, where do I begin on that one? Shelby, we're at a moment here in 2018. This is an inflection point that we're in. And in the previous conversation that I had on Market Scale was about Ted Dintersmith's film, Most Likely to Succeed, and his subsequent book, um, What School Could Be. We're, we're at a maybe the most critical juncture in education that I've seen in my lifetime. The job market is changing with lightning speed. Tom Friedman in his book, Thank You for Being Late, talks about the age of acceleration. Um, we're at a moment here where we can't just have teachers at the front of classes as sages on the stage talking to kids about content and it goes in one ear and out the other. They test and then they forget. We are at a moment where we have to get kids ready um, to work in the imagination economy, what Tom Friedman calls the creative economy. And so ed tech has to play a role in helping our kids get ready to collaborate, to work in teams, to be resilient, to be determined, to be critical problem solvers, and to understand the ways that technology uh, can be leveraged to make the world a better place, to solve the really complex problems of the world. And so for me, technology in the classroom was uh, served as a liberator from the style that I had before, which was sage on the stage. I would lecture. I thought I was good at it. Uh, when I taught at Punahou, European history and U.S. history, it was about delivering content to the kids and having them test on that content. Now, and back in 2006 and 2007, technology allowed me to step away from that role and to become more of a guide on the side. And as I did that, as I used technology to help myself get away from being that front and center person in the classroom, um, what happened is that the kids just picked up the technology, they taught themselves, they taught each other, and they began to use it as a way to direct their own learning to uh, inject an element of personalization into their learning. And my role then became to record that. So I started using cameras and video cameras, shooting still photos. I developed my own YouTube website, uh, classroom website. I started making short movies about what was going on in my classroom. So I guess you can see what I'm trying to say is that technology served as a way for me to step away from a very traditional role that has been the role of the teacher, 
for 125, 150 years and to begin to allow the kids to develop their own learning pathway. And I think that's where we are right now in 2018. And I think ed tech is in the, in the middle of a renaissance because there's just so many tools out there that help kids to develop their own personal learning pathway. What are some of the most recent, I guess, fascinations of yours uh, within ed, newer ed tech technologies or our software or tools? I guess what's, uh, what's really, uh, what's digging your fancy? Well, I guess the way I would answer that is to say that um, we've begun a very appropriate debate about whether or not technology and education is furthering the ends of the previous way of teaching and learning, or is it supporting 21st century teaching and learning, deeper learning, which is what some people call it as we go forward. And I'm fascinated by the debate that's underway about that. If you, if you go one-to-one, as I, I helped Iolani School here in Hawaii go one-to-one with the iPad. Previously, Iolani didn't even have, they had a policy that restricted mobile devices uh, to backpacks and pockets. You could never have a, a mobile device. So this is 2010. So new head of school, Tim Cottrell, made a very courageous decision. We pulled the trigger on getting iPads to every student from K through 12. That was 2,000 iPads. And immediately, a very appropriate conversation began around, well, how are these devices being used, uh, furthering teaching and learning of the past or, or of the present or of the future? And so if you, if you put an iPad in the kid's hand simply to make it more efficient to use flashcards to memorize algebraic formulas and answers, then I don't think ed tech is actually serving kids going into the future. It's just simply making more efficient what we used to do on index cards in the past. Uh, but if we're using iPads to give students in a personalized context the ability to tap into the world's information and to begin to make choices about his or her path, whatever project they're working on, then we start to get into something where technology is really powerful. Um, and so I hope this conversation continues. I hope it's respectful. I, sometimes it gets very contentious. You can see that out there. But I think that it's going to continue. And I think it's ultimately we're going to be able to use technology as the appropriate tool that it should be rather than just to further previous ways of teaching that are now, frankly, obsolete and outdated. Well, let me ask you, why does why do those conversations get contentious? And, and what's the best way to explain uh, what is possible with ed tech? That's a great question. I mean, I was on the front end of, of uh, you know, an ed tech integration, these iPads, and I experienced firsthand what it was like to feel the emotion coming from faculty members on both sides of that debate. Um, I, I think the answer to the question is that people we have been doing we have been doing education one way since 1893. Um, this Prussian model of delivering content in discrete models, where you move from class to class, from chemistry to algebra to history to to language, we've been doing that for such a long time. Um, this so-called factory model that. Um, it's very difficult to break out of something that you've been doing so deliberately and so efficiently for such a long time. And so 
people who have been delivering content in that way for a long time find it very difficult to separate themselves from being at the front end of the classroom, being the sage on the stage. And so therein lies the emotion. When you challenge them on that, it becomes, it becomes a contentious conversation. And you've got various grades of people who are on the other side of the conversation, people who are just tipping, dipping their toes in the water. There are people who have been swimming for a while, and there's people who are so far out in front that it's almost hard for them to have conversations with the people who are still teaching in the traditional way. So, you know, we'll see. I, I think it's contentious because we're at that inflection moment. Um, but clearly the world is moving at light speed, uh, the age of acceleration. And so I think uh, slowly but surely, uh, well, no, actually quicker than we yeah, think, yeah. Um, teaching and learning is going to change. And um, I'm excited that we're at this moment. I I'm inspired by every single day by some of the most amazing things happening in classrooms that even make what I was doing 10, 12 years ago seem, you know, just sort of not that amazing. Right. You know? so, so it's really fun to be part of that. Yeah. Well, Josh, fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Shelby. And thanks to you listeners for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries. Subscribe to articles, podcasts, and creative video. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. <laughs>